Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, what's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And today I actually want to do a teaching called Evil Communications Corrupt Good Manners. Evil Communications Corrupt Good Manners. Now, I know you guys might have heard this term before in the Bible. You know, I don't know how many know what it means. It sounds very self explanatory, but what we're going to be talking about today, you know, is really the problem with most Christians. And I think that when we have an understanding of what this is and what God calls us to and what the meaning of evil communications, corrupt good manners means, then we'll see that a lot of our problems don't stem from outsiders, but it stems from us. Now, you know, of course, it means to be in the wrong sort of company, to, you know, be with people that are not like you. And um, also to look at things like, you know, when you're clean, you shouldn't be with that which is unclean. But then I know some people would beg to ask the question, well, then what is it like when, you know, how, how are we able to minister to people then if we don't, you know, dwell with people who are unrighteous? Hey, Sister Sarah, so, you know, that's just one of those things that we are going to talk about. There are reasons to why we shouldn't be with unbelievers until we're fully built up and strong enough to, because what I have found in my walk in every single piece is that when I wasn't ready and I put myself in situations when I was with people that were not righteous, that were not of God, then what ended up happening to me is that I would begin to wane in my faith. I would begin to get vexed in my soul and my spirit, and I would find myself just trying to go along to get along. But you see, we've got to be made whole before we can even attempt to be around this. But for the beginning, for Christians, for those who are trying very hard to pursue Jesus Christ and are falling short, I guarantee you 90% of it has to do with evil communications, corrupting good manners. Now, some people may think this is just involving the sinner. This is just involving worldly people, but I'm here to tell you too, that even if you're in the wrong church, even if you're in the wrong surroundings, you can still find yourself with evil communications, corrupting good manners. So this isn't just a Christian thing. This isn't just a thing of worldly people or sinful or evil people. I'm here to tell you, if you're sitting in the wrong church or around the, you know, those believers that may be lukewarm, that may not be as serious about their faith, that are doing things contrary to what the word of God says, then you're going to find in many cases that they will corrupt good manners. So, you know, I think that we should go into prayer real quick and get right into this lesson because, you know, we don't really have a moment to spare. We've got a lot to cover tonight. And I just think that people will understand through this teaching that this is the beginning of your problems. If you even look at the fact that 
how you and I came up in the world. I mean, look at babies. Babies are innocent. They may be born with a sin nature, but they're also born not knowing. Now, why is it that you know you get a certain age and you begin to perform bad behaviors or do things that are contrary to what God wants you to do? And it's because it's a learned behavior to do a lot of wrong, to have bad manners. You can always tell, my dad used to always say that you can always tell uh, any kid or any parent by showing me the kid because the child itself will be a reflection of that which is against God, of that which is sinful, of that which is you know what he's grown up and what he's learned from his parents. So as you can see, it's not hard to do for evil communications to corrupt good manners. I mean, just think about the fact of how we've gone to public schools growing up and we've changed. Just being a part of this world, just watching TV, just listening to the radio, all these things have enabled us to be how we are as sinners, you know, in this life with corrupt thoughts, corrupt actions towards our brethren, to become self-loving, to be everything that is against God. This all stems from the evil communication. So as you can see, this holds true. This is exactly what this is about. When we are in the wrong company, even when we're listening to the wrong doctrine, you can have evil communications corrupting good manners. So from here, I want to pray. And then from there, we'll get right into this lesson. All right. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day another day not promised to us. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions. And those things are placed a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given us with our brothers and sisters, that we have yet another day to be partakers in your word, that we may be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And I pray tonight, Lord, that no man's heart be heard, that no flesh be glorified, but only by the spirit of God that we may receive those things, Lord, that will feed us spiritually and physically, that we may be conformed to the image of Christ, that we may do all those things that he's calling us to. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay at this very hour, that people's eyes, ears, minds, and hearts may be open to the truth, that they may receive it, that all things may glorify you, that they may begin to walk like you, that they may begin to talk like you, that they may begin to become faithful stewards, Lord, that you may tell one day, well done, thou good and faithful servants. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things may be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. Again, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Like I said, all you've got to do is go through this life. We didn't turn this way overnight. We are products of our environment. Life imitates art. We find in many cases that we will be very much like those who we spend time around. You know, and how worldly people say, you are what you eat. This is true. 
when you are full of things of unrighteousness, you have no choice but to grow fruit of unrighteousness. When you feed the spirit man, when you get into God's word, when you're with people of a like precious faith, real Christians preaching and teaching the truth, then you're gonna find in many cases that people are going to conform to their environment, okay? So we know that the world is wicked just by the products that we have formed growing in us. No one taught us how to do bad. That was already in our nature, but we got extra special help and instruction in how to be even more wicked by conforming to the wickedness of this world. So I wanna begin with a Psalm. Let's go to Psalm one and let's begin at verse one as we start with this. Psalm chapter one, I mean, Psalm one and verse one. And what did Sister Sarah say? Uh, there is a little uh, lag time when you talk at times. Okay. All right. Thanks for letting me know that. So I'll know what to do concerning that. So is it still acting up, Sarah? Just let me know. You know, the devil loves to mess with your latency and do different things like that. But we're not going to let him hinder this. Even if I got to do this teaching over, I will do it because I do realize that even though we might be on this site, we're also recognizing that the devil runs this too. And he'll cut out real important facts just to have his agenda met. So if it's possible, I'll do this teaching over again. Look at Psalm 1, look at verse 1. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So what we understand here that men are blessed Okay, when they walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, I want to break this down slowly so that people may get some understanding and they won't be looking at things, you know, kind of half hearted. So, this is the word ungodly. This is H7563. That word means wicked, criminal, guilty one, one guilty of a crime, wicked, hostile to God, wicked, guilty of sin against man or God, okay? So as you can see, anyone that is in the company, hey, Sister Dawn, you know, any of us that are in the company of unrighteous people, of those that are not of God, they will not be blessed, okay? Those who are blessed will avoid company like this because when you're of Christ, you're a new creature and you are to surround yourself with those who are righteous. So he says, those who are blessed will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. When you counsel, that's kind of like being taught by the ungodly or going in line with ungodly deeds and ungodly ways. He says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. So that means when you stand in the way of sinners, you are accompanied by sinners. You know that these people are unrighteous. They're not right. And if you go in line with the things that they want and you sit in their company, you've got no choice but to be conformed in turn like that. There are exceptions that we're gonna talk about and how to deal with this, but first we must understand that we are to avoid ungodly uh, fellowship. It says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So, you know, if we're not scornful people, if we're not looking to scorn and hurt others, then God will bless them too, okay? so. You don't want to look at everything as bad or negative or be a tailbearer or backbiter. You want to be someone that is in good standing with God. Okay, look at verse two. 
but his delight, this is the blessed man, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So of course, this was written under the old Mosaic law, and this is teaching us that you know any man, anyone that wants to be righteous will not be in the deeds or in the following of the ungodly, but he will be in the ways of those that are, you know, are godly, and you're going to meditate on God's word. You're going to meditate on the ways of God, all the rules and all the things that God told us to, to be able to be righteous, okay? That's what you meditate on. The more that we read the word of God, the more that we become like God. And that's why it's important that we study to shew ourselves approved in God's word. Look at verse three, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So this is awesome too, because if we look at this, he's talking about this blessed man who will meditate on what God says and not be caught up in the ways of unrighteousness or with unrighteous crowds. He says that they will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now let's bring this into the gospel. We know that when the gospel says, Jesus says, for those who believe on him, as the scriptures have said, that out of his belly will flow those rivers of living water. So what does that mean? That's a direct connection to God, that you won't frustrate the grace of God, that you won't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that you won't quench the spirit of God. So if we meditate on God's word and we stay away from the counsel or the fellowship of the ungodly, and you know, he says that we will be planted by the water. That water is the Holy Spirit. We will stay in line with God. And what does it say? That he will bring forth fruit in his season. What fruit would that be? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. As the Bible says, for such, there is no law. He says his leaf also shall not wither. What does that mean? Your well will never run dry. Why? Because as God flows into you, who is an everlasting source, you will always be full and flow out to others. This is what he's talking about. And then he says, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. So we want to know in many ways why we're dry, why we're not productive as Christians, why we may not be doing the things that God wants us to, may have a lot to do with, are we connected with God? Are we counseling with the ungodly? And are we partakers in God's word? You see, if you don't read God's word, you don't know what he wants. If you're with the ungodly, friendship with the world, as the Bible says, makes you the enemy of God. So what we must understand is in order to be with God and do the things that God says, we must remain in good standing with him. No fellowship with ungodliness and unrighteousness and meditating on God's word. And when you've got that, you've got a direct connection to God that the spirit can flow through you and make you prosperous in all that the Lord calls you to do. Even being in the bad company of people that are not of God can even cut off you hearing God's voice because the spirit may tell you, I don't want you with those people. I don't want you involved in that. I want you to go forward and do what I'm telling you. But you stay in their company 
you grieve the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost flees, and then you find yourself just in the company of people wondering what God has for you. In order for us to hear God's voice, we've got to forsake the voice of the world because they both have wills contrary one to the other. One wants to desire to please God and the other does the things of the world and of the flesh and of the devil. So as you can see, these things can cut off our life source from God. But he says, if we were to rid ourselves of those and meditate on what God wants, then we will have a steady flow of what God wants. Look at verse four. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. So he's saying that the ungodly are like old burnt up grass that the wind just blows away. No foundation, no truth. I believe this today. I believe that tomorrow. I'm lukewarm. I don't know what to believe. I don't want to offend. What is God's purpose for my life? You know, and, and all this other stuff, you blow around because you have no foundation which is in Christ Jesus. So he says, these people are not so, they're not productive. As soon as you build something up, it blows away. Why? Because you're not grounded and rooted by that river, which is God in the Holy Spirit, okay? Look at verse five. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So what you find here is these two are opposed to one another. Where the ungodly will be, the righteous man won't be, and where the um, righteous man will be, the ungodly won't be. This is that great gulf fix. This is the, you know, the wheat and the tares. This is the sheep and the goats. You know, this is Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. The list goes on and on. Isaac and Ishmael, Jesus and Adam, totally opposed to one another, completely separate from one another, and will not have the same fate together. So he says in verse six, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So God will always make the righteous fruitful and prosperous and prolong their days to do what God's will is, but the ungodly will perish, not just in this life, but in the one to come. They may be fruitful and flourish here. They may be rich, but if they're unrighteous, they can't take any of those things beyond the grave. So as you can see, this is speaking of evil communications, corrupting good manners. If you stay separate from it, you'll be prosperous, you'll be fruitful, you'll be everything that God wants. Now I wanna talk to any gardener out there, you know that if you don't plant certain trees or, or vegetables or fruit on the right soil and you don't give it the right amount of attention, it will not grow. The same can be said of any Christian who is pursuing God that is allowing unfruitfulness to get into his root system. When the seed is corrupted or the seed is destroyed, from that point on, that fruit, okay, will eventually uh, become corrupt, okay? So only good trees bring forth good fruit, as Jesus says, but it will never bear good fruit in corrupt company. Corrupt company is like corrupt soil, okay? It's like not enough water. It's like instead of watering a plant, you know, you pretty much pour weed killer all over it, you know, that you pour acid over it, you're destroying it. So you see evil communications will corrupt good manners because they're not conducive to the growth of that which is fruitful. When you are in good standing with God, you've got God's flow and God will make you fruitful. That's what this is about. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 
And let's look at verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15, and look at verse 21. You know, even for a subject as being baptized in the spirit, what keeps people from being baptized in the spirit has much to do with what's in your way. What are you not willing to part with? That dross, that corrupts, those, those weights that we won't lay aside and run our race with patience. All of those things have to do with corruption and unfruitfulness because we're, we're linking to things that God never intended for his people to. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 21. It says, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So as you can see, Adam would be considered a kind of unrighteous fruit because of the fact that Adam started out to be fruitful and to, be, and to multiply and to replenish the earth. But when Adam allowed the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the fruit of Satan to govern his life, when he began to obey them, his whole root system tore down. So from there, the world belongs to the devil. You know, man has a sin nature. And from that point, man has to be born again so that he can fall right with Christ. How did God manage this? God sent God in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So God used sin that Adam made and brought Jesus Christ into it, that we will be fruitful because what he came to do was regenerate fallen man. That's why we must be born again and fall in line with what God wants. Hey, Sister Tara, so as you can see, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 22. And as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. This is why Jesus is called the second Adam because man was corrupted. All man could do through his best efforts is go to hell because he was corrupted from the beginning. Jesus came that we might have life and that we may have it more abundantly. Look at verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterwards, they that are Christ uh, at his coming. Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, I mean the kingdom to God, even the father when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he have put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now this is awesome because you see death itself or being a Christian or following Christ and being born again takes the sting out of death. Death has no dominion over a Christian. Why? Because when we die, we get to have eternal life with Jesus Christ and we will be raised in his image and likeness in that last day. But when we are you know, sinners and not born again and living in the ways of the world, then man is going to die. Then you fear death because there is the second death which is the lake of fire, which is hell that occurs afterwards, you know? So this is something that we must understand that death has no rule over a Christian. That's why the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus took the keys of death and hell that death would not rule over any Christian's life. That's what it truly means to be born again and to walk in God's righteousness. 
Okay, look at verse 27. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, uh, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all and all. So what we understand here and what we know is that remember that Jesus Christ is going to have his reign. He's going to have the millennial reign. He's going to judge the world. But when Jesus had subdued all things after the millennial reign, after the devil is thrown into the lake of fire, after, um, you know, the, uh, all the enemies of God are placed where they are. OK, then we know from that point on that Jesus is going to hand it back over to the Father and all things will be of God. All right. Look at verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all in all. Else what shall we what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protect by your uh, rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. So what Paul is speaking of here is, imagine us doing everything that God calls us to do for absolutely nothing, never to be raised again, just to live in this life, just living the way that we live. And then from there we go, you know, we just don't get lifted up again. But you know that Jesus has prepared eternal life for us. But Paul is saying, why are we in jeopardy every hour? What would be the risk of even going out there, preaching the gospel, knowing that people hate Christians, knowing that they want to throw some of us in jail and do other things to us and kill us? Why are we in jeopardy every hour if there's no such thing as the resurrection? So you see, the reason why we do what we do is that one, we're a different creature, and two, we're expecting to be raised on that last day. If we live like Christ and we do what Jesus Christ says to do. So Paul says, because he knows that the resurrection is real, he dies daily. He dies out to self. He decreases daily that Christ can increase and get the will of the Father done in him. Look at verse 32. Uh, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at, at Ephesus, what advantage if it me, if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And I want you guys to know that that's the mentality of the world. That's the mentality of the ungodly. How many times have we tried to get a brother or sister to stop doing drugs or stop smoking or stop fornicating or stop living like they live? And they'll tell you, hey, man, we all got to die sometime. I just want to live my life. I just want to do what I need to do. You know, this has always been the mentality of the ungodly. Even when you look at, um, you know, Noah in the flood, what did it say? They ate and drank and they married and they were given into marriage until Noah entered into the ark. So as you can see, Noah's eyes were set on eternity. So no one knew if I build this boat and I obey God, God is going to preserve me and mine. But the ungodly were warned for 120 years. They didn't care. And when the time came, God shut the door. 
You also see this in Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at the fact that, you know, uh, Lot was telling people, well, Abraham was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, and those people did wickedly until they died. You know why? Because they couldn't see past the here and now. They couldn't see past the flesh. They couldn't see past their own lust and desires. And because of that, their spirits were dead to God. So this is why, you know, Paul is saying, why do I fight with the beast at Ephesus? Why am I persecuted in this town trying to preach the gospel to people? Because if there's no resurrection, then, you know, I may as well eat and drink for tomorrow I die. And that's the mentality of the world, but that should not be the mentality of the Christian. Because Paul says earlier in this chapter, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 19, that if we have hope only in this life, in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. Why? Because this is an unsustainable life. Nothing will get beyond the grave. We're promised if we're righteous, maybe 70 years or a little more. What glory is there in that to live for one period of time and then to die and to never be resurrected again? So you see, that's that's hopelessness. That's not righteousness. But you see, if we have hope in Jesus beyond this life, beyond what he can give you here and what he can provide for you in eternity, then man, that's a real blessing. That's something that we want to look forward to and desire because that's what God wants for his people. He wants a bride without spot or blemish that is going to live with him in eternity. There was a woman that had an awesome vision of the Lord, you know, uh, dancing with her, his bride in eternity. You know, the Lord is going to delight in us making it into the kingdom. And that's why if we understood what was so good on the other side of things, we wouldn't allow corruption to come into us and to keep us from truly pursuing Jesus Christ. So look at verse 33. This is why I named the teaching that I did. He tells them, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Okay, so if we're around people that have the ungodly, you know, uh, personality or, or mentality, what do you think it's going to do to us? You know, we're going to start laying our treasures here on earth just like they do. We're going to live like them. We're going to see the world as they see it. We're going to pick up in their own lust and corruption and be just like them. So let's look up the word evil, okay? Because a lot of people don't have an understanding what evil is. A lot of us equate evil with our emotions, but we must understand that anything that is against Jesus Christ is evil. I don't care if it's a crying person that wants your help and wants you to be in their life or do things for them. If it's contrary to what the will of God is, that's evil, okay? Let's have an understanding of this. So let's look up the word evil. This is G2556. And that word is kakos. And it means of a bad nature, not such as it ought to be, of a mode of thinking, feeling, or acting, base meaning filthy, wrong or wicked, troublesome, injurious, pernicious, destructive, and baneful. All of those things are considered to be evil. That's why it's important that we get a glimpse of this, because he says of a bad nature or not such as it ought to be. If you and I are not living 
as we ought to in Christ, that is considered evil. I don't care if you've given your life to Jesus Christ or not, there are certain areas in your life that the devil controls that God needs to subdue to put down so that we can live in a righteous way with the Lord. That's important that we understand this, okay? So evil, that's what evil means. It means of a bad nature, not such as it ought to be, you know, feeling or acting, a mode of thinking, even when you think contrary to God, those are evil thoughts. And then he says injurious, troublesome, pernicious, and destructive. Okay, now let's look up the word communications. This is G3657. And that means companionship, intercourse, or communion. So evil unions, evil reunions, evil companionship, evil intercourse, like saying sex before marriage, or even being in the company, like the Catholic church, where they do their communion, it doesn't even matter. It's a wicked and corrupt place. You're not even supposed to be in there because it's not of God. Jehovah Witnesses are some of the most well-intentioned, you know, I think decent acting people that will outwardly perform that they are Christians, but inwardly they serve the wrong God. So to become a Jehovah Witness is evil communications, it's evil communion. To become a Mormon, to become a false Christian, to find yourself doing things contrary to God in the company of those who are not Christ-like is considered evil communications. A lot of Christians learn to become Christians because they're surrounded by some Christians that are very lukewarm. And lukewarm has nothing to do with what a Christian should be. The Lord says that he would rather them be hot or cold, but because they are not hot or cold, he says that he would spew them out of his mouth. So you don't wanna be cut off from the Lord. You're either going to be hot in line with what Jesus Christ wants, or you are going to be cold and walk in your own mindset. Okay, so evil communications corrupt good manners. When you find lukewarm Christians and you hang around them, you're gonna start to think you can take God for granted too. You are going to play around with your salvation. You're gonna believe that you're once saved, always saved, which is a doctrine that came from hell. And you see, those people don't make it in. That's a wicked doctrine to believe in once saved, always saved, when Paul tells us that he needs to buffet his body and bring it into subjection, or he himself could become a castaway. We must learn what it is to walk with God and to walk in the counsel of the godly, not of the ungodly, because only the godly man that is in godly counsel will be blessed. And that's what we must focus on, how to, how to be right, how to stay right, and how to walk in the ways of God. So let's look at a couple of Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 13 and look at verse 20. I'll tell you what snags a lot of Christians is, we find ourselves trying to minister to everybody, but we ourselves are not strong enough yet. So what do we do? We think that we're hanging out with them and we're trying to help them live, but what's really happening is they're pouring water on your fire. You see, and they're, they're weakening you because the only purpose that any Christian should be around the ungodly is to tell them the truth in Christ. You've got a mission, it's just like a salesman. He's not gonna just come in and hang out with you. What's in the back of his mind is to sell his product that he wants you to have. 
That's what Christians ought to do. But since this love doctrine and this love gospel is being pushed and promoted, what you're finding is a lot of Christians feel like if I don't separate myself from bad company, or if I do, I'm not being very loving. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You and I are only given the spirit and the counsel of God to walk as the Lord walks and to come amongst the ungodly only to sell them a better product than they've been sold from their birth. Okay, you're on a wrecked ship. You're going to hell. You don't have Christ. Things are not right in your life. I'm gonna introduce you to someone who is going to save your life that not only will you live righteous in this life, but you will also inherit eternal life. That's the only purpose. Anything outside of that is wrong and it's going to pour water on your fire. You want to stay hot for Christ, you've got to get about the Lord's business and not tend to your feelings about what you think people should have. Obey the spirit of God, you will be fruitful, just like Psalm 1 said that we just read. So this is Proverbs 13, look at verse 20. He says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Come on, y'all, this is our lifestyle from the very beginning. How did we end up becoming foolish in this world? We were in the company of fools, okay? They lived their lives recklessly. You were in their company. You lived your life recklessly. But he says that if we walk with the wise men, we shall be wise. There are none wiser than the people of God. The people of God, the counsel of God, the word of God, the spirit of God is the wisdom that you and I need to walk in. And we'll never fully walk in it until we're sold on it, that this is the righteous way to live, okay? Unless you've got, if you've got plan B, and you've got anything that you want outside of God's counsel and his wisdom, you are going to go in the ways of the world or the ways of the foolish. But when you recognize, you know what? God's word is rich, it's righteous, it contains everything that I need. And you begin to love God's counsel and God's word, God's spirit will empower you to live in a godly way. So see, if you're in the company of the wise, You'll be fruitful, you'll be good, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And that's why the Bible tells you only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see, those who don't have a God to acknowledge or a God to answer to, or even to believe that he exists and he's watching over what you do, those people will live foolish lives. What keeps you and I straight? Because we know that God is watching over everything we do. We know that there are things that we can say and do that will cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved, okay? So when Christ is living in you and I, he's directing you and I about his likes and his dislikes, and it would do us good to hearken unto those feelings or those thoughts or what the word of God says so that we can remain in God's goodness and not be destroyed with the fools. Look at Proverbs 14. And let's look at verse seven. Thank you, Jesus. Proverbs 14, look at verse seven. He says, go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. So, you know, I remember Pastor Price said uh, before, 
that you got to know when to get off the train because there are a lot of people that do have their own wisdom. A lot of people have their own understanding. And, you know, everybody, I guess, has flaws in this thing. I'm sure I do. I'm sure he does. I'm sure there are others that do. But what we must understand is, is that, you know, when we're in the council of, of foolish and we don't know when things are of God, well, I want to use this example. Now, remember, Jesus told Peter that, you know, great and blessed he was because he figured out that Jesus was the son of God. But then later in the same chapter, Peter said to the Lord, be it far from you, Lord, that you will be persecuted and all these things will happen. And the Lord told him, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, unto me because thou savorest the things that be of men and not of God. You've got to know through inspiration of the spirit or through discernment when you're hearing the words of God and when you're hearing the words of men. This is what deceives a lot of people in the church because the pastor will start out right and he'll be saying all the righteous things and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'll say something wrong and the spirit, if you're born again, usually will alert you. I don't know about that statement. Well, Pastor Price says you got to know when to get off the train. You've got to know when to say, okay, you know, like there's one pastor that may believe that a Christian can't have a demon. And there's another pastor that believes that Christians can have demons. We know through our experience in dealing with demons that Christians can have demons. But let's just say a pastor will tell you a Christian can't have a demon. Does that mean throw out everything that he says? No, you can collect the data that he mentions. Okay, there's some good information. But when you get to that part of a Christian can't have a demon, okay, thank you very much. I'm getting off the train now. And I'm going to one that I know is telling the truth that a Christian can have a demon. So you see, not everybody that is a man of God is going to bring forth the perfect doctrine. There may be flaws in their doctrine that the Holy Ghost is trying to bring and make righteous. We've got to be in that place of hearing what God says so that we can walk in the righteousness of God. You see what I'm saying? You've got to know when to say, okay, I'll take the information that's good data dump the rest and link everything to the word of God. So you see, you depart from foolishness and I'm not calling any man of God foolish, but there may be areas in his doctrine that may not be righteous. You've got to know when to say, okay, that's enough. I'm gonna do away with that. And I'm going to have nothing to do with it. Why? Because you want to stay in the counsel of the godly because only the godly in Christ will be blessed. Okay, uh, let's see. Hi, my first time watching live. Well, welcome, uh, brother or sister. I believe you're a brother, but you know, welcome to uh, God's word. If you like the word, then uh, subscribe. You know, welcome to Sound of Trumpet Ministries. But you see, we must remain in good counsel with the Lord to do what God says. Sometimes when we love, when we're people pleasers and, you know, we give all glory to man. We're gonna fall in line also with man's flaws. But if we stay in the middle of the road, obeying God, obeying the spirit, letting the spirit lead us into the righteous places that God wants, we will never fall off the path because we're obeying the spirit of God and not men. The Bible tells us, cursed is the man that trusteth in man that maketh flesh his arm and his heart will depart from the Lord. You see, so any man that is of God, 
that is following God will be led by the spirit of God. But if you're a people pleaser or a lover of men, I mean, there's nothing wrong with loving men, but when you give men the glory that is only due to God, you're gonna find yourself not just with the man's doctrine that might be good, you're gonna also find yourself making the flaws of this man the, uh, that true doctrine. And that's not the way that you and I are supposed to walk. We are to obey the spirit of God, okay? Let's look at Romans 12. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. You see, because this, what I'm about to read is the beginning of what it is to be a Christian and what we must do so that we can be in line with what the Lord wants. All right, we ought to know that, that. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Romans 12. Let's look at verse one. Romans 12 and one says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So what is the service of any Christian? This is the tithe of the New Testament, believe it or not. The Bible tells us we are not to give grudgingly nor of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. So what we need to do is present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Why do we present our bodies to the Lord? Because the Lord, the body belongs to the Lord. If the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost or of the living God, then we need to give God back possession of this body. Why? Because God knows what to do with it. This is what you call submitting yourself to the word of God, to the will of God, to the spirit of God, that we can be changed and do the righteous works of God. Okay, look at verse two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in order for us to understand the perfect will of God and what is good and acceptable unto the Lord is, we've got to give our bodies over. But notice how it says, and be not conformed to the world. Let's look up the word conformed. This is G4964. That means to conform oneself to one's mind and character to another's pattern. Fashion oneself according to. So as you can see, if we fashion ourselves like the world, then we become one with the world. If we fashion our, our lives in accordance with God, then we will stay in good standing with the Lord. So he says not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. Look at the word transformed. This is G3339. That word is metamorpho. You know what metamorpho is like? It's like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. Even though it's the same creature, they become very different in nature when they're in their chrysalis and they're being brought forth. What you'll find is they will spring forth life, okay? They will go from a crawling insect unto one that flies that, that is above what its, what its past life was like. So he's saying, don't be conformed to the world. Don't, don't uh, tolerate, don't uh, coexist, don't compromise what your values are in Christ, but go according to what God's word says so that we can be with him. 
okay? And, how, and then you become transformed by the renewing of your mind. How you think or what a man thinketh in his heart, the Bible says, so is he, so he will become. That's why we've got to get in that place of being transformed by our minds, being renewed in the spirit of our minds. When our thoughts become like God, then our hearts will become like God and we will be the new creation that God can give his thoughts to that we can do his will. You know, and I'm gonna give you an example of what this looks like and why it's hard in many cases for us to live and be like this life is and then go in line with what God's will is. They are totally separate one to the other. So I wanna give you guys an example of this. Let's go to Matthew chapter nine and let's begin at verse nine. Because I know what people are gonna say. So are you saying to look down on people or to do away with people and not want people around you? Are we supposed to see ourselves as higher than them? No. This is all about being right with God so that we can be right to others. If we believe on Jesus, as the scriptures have said, then out of our bellies will flow those rivers of living water. If we have no source of life, how can we reach another? If we have no true relationship with the Lord, how can we help someone else get where they need to be? If we are bound and chained up from head to toe, how can we inspire anyone to walk with God. You see what I'm saying? We can't tell someone to be set free if we're bound. Whom the Son, which is Jesus Christ, has set free will be free indeed. And then you can set others free. A lot of us preach the gospel bound. And when you do that, though you may get some things, you're not gonna get the fruitfulness that God wants you to have. Why? Because there are areas in your life that are not governed by God, okay? So let's look at verse nine. This is Matthew nine and nine. And it says, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So this guy was a tax, collect a tax collector, Matthew, um, the disciple that God told him, you know, come and follow me. And he got up and walked off the job. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at me in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Uh-oh, so a lot of people may say, well, what about this? I thought you said evil communications corrupt good manners. We're gonna get there and we're going to explain this. Look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. So Jesus understood that I'm sitting amongst these people or they came and sat with me because these people want to be made whole. They want to be made righteous. Only those who are sick will seek out a physician. Our job is to tell people how sick they are and how sick we were and what God has done in our lives so that we can be made right. But look at verse 13. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, but I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
So Jesus's purpose of hanging out with the sinners and the publicans was that they may be made right and understand grace and become the creation that Christ is, you know, to become, uh, to repent of the old life that they may pursue the new. But look at what the problem is. Look at how this works. This is what Jesus is gonna tell us next, how this thing works out. It doesn't work with you coming up with the idea to want to go and win souls. You've got to be a specific type to go among sinners to bring them unto Christ. Look at verse 14. Then came to him his disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but uh, thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and they shall fast, or then they shall, then shall they fast. So Jesus was making clear to them that as long as the disciples were with Jesus, they were in good standing. But when Jesus leaves, they will be mourning and fasting. So you see two types of people here. You see the Pharisees who do not understand the wisdom of God, why Jesus Christ called that sinner to come to him, because Jesus had a purpose for him, you know, and why he sat in their company, because his goal and his desire was to make them right. Then you got John's disciples saying, well, how come the Pharisees and us, we fast, but you don't. But see, what they don't understand is they fast because they don't have Christ. Okay, Jesus was amongst them and Jesus is who they needed to be with. Sometimes we can do more works than we can spend time with the Lord. And when you've got that, you're gonna have an imbalance in this thing. It's important that we understand, like remember the story with Mary and Martha, and I believe it was Luke 11. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But remember, Martha saw Jesus and wanted to do all these works for Jesus. She tried to impress him and she wanted her sister Mary to help her. But Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, absorbing all the goodness, all the wisdom, all the presence of God that she could have. So Martha turns to the Lord and says, Lord, don't you even care that my sister Martha is not helping me to do things for you? That's pretty much what she was saying. And the Lord said, Martha, Martha, thou art concerned or worried about many things. But he says, but one thing is needful and your sister Mary hath chosen that good thing and that will not be taken away from her. So Mary knew to be in the presence of God is what is needed. But you see, Martha wanted to perform for the Lord and work for the Lord, but she didn't understand the purpose of him. So you see, John's disciples thought by fasting, they were drawn closer to God, but you've got to be at the feet of the Lord to know him and know what purpose you are fasting for. Jesus mentions fasting here as a type of, you know, mourning for the coming of the Lord, mourning to be filled, mourning to desire God, okay? to empty yourself out so that you can become full of Christ. So look at verse 16. He says, no man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up, taketh from the garment and the rent or the tear is made worse. So Jesus was giving John's disciples a hint. You guys are trying to put new wine, in, I mean, or, or a new um, piece of cloth 
unto an old garment. John served his purpose in announcing Jesus Christ, but now Jesus Christ is what it's all about. So in order to have, look at what he's gonna tell them in verse 17, neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish, but they that put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. So the Lord is making clear the reason why he's called these people to come to him, the reason why the disciples followed him for three and a half years is he was conditioning their minds. He was trying to get them to become the new vessel so that they could house the new wine, which is what? The Holy Ghost. So you see, we've got to be conformed. We've got to be changed. We, in order for us to minister or to do the righteous things of God. So, oh, it was Luke 10. Thanks, Sarah. So, you know, for order for us to do the righteous things that are of God, we've got to be the new vessel. How do we become the new vessel? By allowing Jesus Christ to form us up and to live in us. And then we can house the new one, which is the Holy Ghost. Why is this important? Because this is also how evil communication corrupts good manners. If I'm not strong enough to deliver the gospel or if I'm an old vessel, then I'm going to leak out. The Holy Ghost won't be able to, to you know, move me in the way that I need to be moved of God because the Holy Ghost is gonna tell me he wants one thing and I'm going to pursue something else. So you see that bottle will break under that pressure. So you've got to be the new vessel like Christ that can house the new wine, which is the Holy Spirit, that both will be preserved. You know why? Because that wine is gonna flow with God. That wine, I mean, that, that vessel is gonna house it and that wine will be able to move. We can't have this if we're not full of Christ. So why did Jesus come? And why did he call these sinners to repent? He wanted them to be partakers of the new wine by first learning how to become the new vessel. And I wouldn't encourage anybody to minister in this fashion unless they have become the new vessel to house the new wine. You know why? Because if not, they're gonna poke holes in your bottle and you won't be strong enough to house the spirit and you will do things contrary to God and you're gonna find yourself sinning again before you can do the things that God calls you to. So you don't want that. So I'm gonna give you two examples of why this is important that we become the new one. Let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm chapter 51. Okay. Now remember, Psalm 51 is based off David watching a naked woman, somebody else's wife, that caused him to sin because he began to lust after this woman. So, you know, Psalm 51 is David's repentance that he's bringing before the Lord. But look at what David is asking the Lord in verse 10. Let's go down from there. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. So notice, if the clean heart is the jar, because if your heart is like God's, he tells us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So our hearts need to be made right with the Lord. But he says, cast me, I mean, um, to put a clean heart in him 
and to renew a right spirit within. So David knew that he needed to be the new man that can house the new wine. Then he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Look at what he says in 12, this is the key. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So restore me with the joy of the salvation. And then he says, let the spirit of God or thy free spirit, you know, lift him up or keep him in, you know, in where he needs to be. Verse 13 says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So what did David need first? He needs a clean heart and he needs a renewed spirit within him. And then he's asking to not be cast away from the presence of God, but that he be upheld by the Holy Spirit. Then he's asking the Lord to restore unto him the joy of thy salvation and uphold him with the Holy Ghost. Then will he teach those who are transgressors. What are transgressors? Those who sin willfully. That's the bad company. These are the sinners that we're talking about. He's saying that, that once he has got everything in line with God, the new heart, the new spirit, upheld by the spirit, having joy in the salvation of the Lord, then he can teach those who are transgressors, those who go against the will of God, and he says the ways of God and sinners shall be converted unto the Lord. So we've got the same thing playing out here that you've got to be made right, that you've got to fall in line with what God wants. And then from there, I can tell other people about Jesus. You know why? Because I'm not the old man, I'm the new man. I'm not the old jar, I'm the new jar. That house is the new wine. So therefore I can be preserved in the spirit. I've got everything I need and everything I contain to walk with God. You and I cannot minister under these without these circumstances because we will be too weak. And while we think we're pouring out wine, we got somebody else pouring in water to dilute our wine. And then from there, we begin to be weak. We begin to compromise. We begin to not go in line with what God wants. But what God wants is for one, us to be changed. And then we can teach others the gospel. I'll give one more example of this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and let's begin at verse one. And if anybody doesn't understand, please let me know because I'd love to be able to explain. The Bible says with all we get, let us have understanding. Okay, just a YouTuber who admired that the turn of Muslims to Jesus and revealing that their Quran uh, with truth. Okay, well, you know, this is all about giving everything to Jesus, man. You know, it's all in him. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, and let's look at verse one. You know, it's so important that when we preach the gospel, that the truth is in us, because that's where the power of God resonates in the truth. So you see, if I'm someone, now let's just say I'm living like a filthy sinner, and I can point out everything that is wrong in the world and with other people, but you see, pointing out what's wrong doesn't make me right. In order to be righteous, 
We've got to have the truth in the word and the spirit of Jesus Christ inside of us that when we speak it, people may know it. That's what this really is about. This is about living and becoming the embodiment of truth. That's why he tells the people in the beginning to gird up their loins with truth in Ephesians chapter six. Then he talks about all the other armor because the truth is what makes us free. I can't preach someone free if I'm bound. So we've got to go through the process of sanctification. Second Corinthians 10, look at verse one. Now, Paul myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So as you can see, what our move is and what God wants us to do is to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So there are a lot of things that we may have in our lives that go against the knowledge of God. And then we have lots of imaginations that are contrary to God. Like there may be areas in our lives we want to be somebody special in the world. We want to be loved by the world. We want, you know, riches upon riches that we can live this worldly life. There's nothing wrong with riches, but is that God's purpose for you? So you see, you can have imaginations that are contrary to God. You can believe deep in your heart, Lord, I want everybody to be saved. You know, I want you to accept homosexuality. I want you to accept fornicators. I want you to accept Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus. And I just want to be in this great bond of love and they shouldn't have to change a thing. I shouldn't have to preach the gospel because I don't want to offend people. If that's an imagination of yours, that goes against what God is calling us because God wants us all to be able to repent, to know him, to forsake those things and those thoughts that are against him. And then he says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Man, if we can get this figured out in the Lord and we become obedient to what God tells us to, then man, to have every thought to the obedience of Christ, then we can be led by the spirit because we truly become those children of God. For them that are led by the spirit of God, those are the sons of God. So if we got thoughts that are contrary to God, he's saying, man, bring every thought to the obedience of Christ before any word comes out of your mouth, before any thought is, is, is acted upon in your vessel, you need to ask yourself, is it of God or is it not of God? How many times we've been at work sitting amongst Christians and we hear the sinful people that are in the midst and the Lord tells you, remove yourself. Or when you hear slander or any type of backbiting or gossip going on in the workplace, you know the spirit of God tells you to move, but you sit there listening. We've got to learn to be obedient to the Lord. Does this conversation glorify God? Is this something that a Christian should be in? Because if it's not, then let me remove myself from this. 
That's why we get those gut-wrenching feelings. That's why we experience these emotions that we have because the Holy Spirit is telling you and I, hey, this is not of me. You see that television show you're watching? You hear those that music that you're playing that has all this stuff going on in it, cursing and carrying on? I know I hear it. Do you? Well, you need to turn that off or move it away. Or if it's not of me, then throw it out. This keeps us in the goodness and in the counsel of God and blessed of the Lord than to go according to the evil communications that corrupt good manners. But look at verse seven. It's Oh, no, look at verse six. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So as you can see, your obedience needs to be fulfilled first in the Lord before you can go and revenge all disobedience that is in the world. An example of this is Jesus Christ. Jesus, when the spirit fell upon him, he was led immediately into the wilderness to do what? To be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and dealt with the temptations, which were the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, then it says after Jesus was done, the devil left him for a season and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. Why? Because he led every thought unto the obedience of God. And he, he then he was ready to revenge all disobedience when his obedience was fulfilled. A lot of people, when they don't have the Holy Spirit and, and they're preaching the gospel, pretty much what they're telling you is they're greater than Jesus. Jesus did nothing void of the spirit. You and I have to be in the spirit with God to be able to proclaim what God wants. Because other than that, we may do some things and we may be successful in some areas, but it won't be long before you revert back to type, before your vessel bursts, before you leak out, or before you go back to the old nature that you live. You've got to be the new vessel to house the new wine. The new vessel is one that is born again of Christ, and the new wine is that Holy Spirit that keeps us upholding to do the righteous works of God. That's what David was talking about. Uphold me with thy free spirit. The only thing that's going to uphold you and I is the spirit of God, that we may walk in righteousness and stray away from unrighteousness. So hopefully this makes sense. Jesus Christ is the only truth. Amen, Sister Sarah. So let's look at Matthew 18 and let's look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. The reason why the Lord sometimes won't make known to us what his will is concerning ministry or what area of ministry we should be in is because we're still too weak to do it. That's why he wants you and I to draw close to him that we may know what his purpose is. When the Lord, the Lord knows when we're ready and when we're ready, he will send us. Why? Because he knows at that point that we won't have a compromising spirit. We won't have this spirit for coexisting. Why is homosexuality spread so wide in this world today? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. That's why. That's the only reason why. And that's why it's growing because they put laws in play that you have to, that you can't, you know, keep, you know, teachers from spreading their homosexual doctrine 
in the education system. Why do you think abortion is so big? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. Why is there sex before marriage everywhere? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. And this is why we cannot be in the council of the ungodly. The devil is well aware of what he's doing, why he's putting these laws in play, why he's amalgamating his sodomite forces with the saints, because he knows that if the saints are not strong enough to go against it, if the saints become tolerant, if the saints become loving, void of truth and, and, and righteousness, then what the saints will do will become sodomites and they will become accepting of sodomites. And then they will begin to compromise their love. We've got to love everybody. Hey, love is not the problem, but God has what is right and what is wrong. And we need to be in that place of understanding what God's righteousness is. Hey, I had to change who I am. Those who are listening online had to change who they are. You know, no one gets in this thing in their old life carrying the old jar. You've got to be made right in Christ. So why the devil is allowing that his love doctrine to be preached void of truth is because his attempt is to get everybody amalgamated with his filth that they may not know which end is up. That's the only reason why this spirit is spreading. He introduced it to you. Why do you think it's on TV? Why do you think they have these movies, all these things on cable? Because he's trying to condition the mind for acceptance and when you do that, what happens is you will become corrupt through evil communications. Man, hey, our job to the homosexuals is to love them. And how do we love them? We tell them the truth about Jesus that they may be saved. If you think there's any love outside of that, you're going to find yourself dwelling in Sodom and Gomorrah, fighting against the purposes of God for abortion. The only thing that we have to tell them out of love is what you're doing is wrong and you need to repent of the spirit of murder and be made right in Christ. Anything outside of that is a false love. You know why? Because we're not giving them what they need to live. If I give them cookies and I allow them to be in the school and I have them over for dinner and I treat them well, what good of love is that when at the end of it all, these people are going to hell? How do I love them if I know Christ? You see, we can't allow evil communications to corrupt us. If we're going to have them in our company, we need to tell them the truth if we love them. And don't call me a hater of sodomites or whatever, because you see, I do love them. Is why I tell them the truth. You don't love them. You just want to be with them in this life. But where will they go after that? We got to be made right, man. And we've got to stand for the truth that they may have it. So let's look at Matthew 18. Look at verse 15. Now, this is dealing with those who are unrighteous that are in the church. What we're about to read is how to make them righteous, how not to be a part of what they want, but to get them in line with what God wants and what God tells us to do concerning this. Matthew 18, look at verse 15. He says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So if your brother trespasses or he does you wrong or he's living in a, in a sinful way, you know, and you know that it's wrong, hey, go to him one-on-one. -on -one. Don't embarrass him in front of people. Go and talk to him alone and show him where his fault is. And if he should hear the truth or what is righteous, 
then you've gained your brother. You've pulled him from a sinful life or a sinful world that he could be with God again. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So if they think you're just picking on them or you just you know, don't want them to have any fun or they don't think you're telling them the truth, he says to go get two or three brothers and sisters from the church and have them you know, tell them the exact same thing. You know, So maybe he'll say, okay, it's not just that brother, it is me, okay? More people are telling me I'm like this, so I need to be made right. Okay, and he says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Where did that law come from? It came from the old Mosaic law. When people sinned, they didn't just take people's word for it. There had to be two or three witnesses that saw you do it so that you could be judged righteously. Look at verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, then tell it unto the church. Okay, so now that you won't listen to not just one brother, or two or three brothers, now this becomes a church issue. The governing elders in the church, or the, you know, it becomes the church's business. Hey, brothers and sisters, we got someone out of line. We got to tell the pastor now. We got to tell other people. Why? Because we want our brother to be in good standing with us. So it says, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So what does that mean? To part company with him. Hey man, we told you about sin. We told you about the truth. If that's how you still wanna live, then you can't corrupt the church. You guys ever ask yourself why when Adam and Eve had fell, when they had sinned, why God drove them out of the Garden of Eden? Because the Garden of Eden is a garden of pleasure. It's the place of the presence of God. It was a fruitful place. It was a place that was meant to sustain life. It's a holy place. So God told Adam and Eve, hey man, y'all gotta get out of here. I'm not going to wreck the garden for your sinful life. You now have another nature because you would not hearken unto what God wanted. So now uh -uh, I gotta remove you. You're gonna be on the outskirts looking in now until I got a solution, which is Jesus Christ that's going to make men righteous. Look at, look at Lucifer. You don't think Lucifer would want to live his life all over again with another chance? Why didn't Lucifer get another chance, but we did? Because Lucifer was a spiritual being. Lucifer led praise and worship in heaven. Lucifer protected the throne of God, and Lucifer knew God in an intimate way. So when Lucifer decided to rebel, he made a conscious decision that I see who's holy, I see who's righteous, I see who's all powerful, but guess what? I want to be my own God. And God had to banish him from heaven because of the corruption that he was able to have. It says that he, with his tail, because he's the dragon, he swept a third of the angels with him. You see how he began to corrupt heaven? That God not only had to kick Lucifer out, he kicked them out too, because even God knows that evil communications corrupt good manners. If you read Ezekiel 28, the Bible will tell you outright that Lucifer, through his trafficking, got angels in line with him to obey him. And what did God have to do? God had to remove them. So God has grace and mercy on an unbeliever. Hey, man, I want you to be in this thing, but you've got to adopt the truth of God. If you so choose not to, 
then hey man, you gotta go. Uh, I'm first gonna bring one person to you, then I'll bring three. Then I'll make it a church matter. But if you are determined of being an unrighteous seed, then you can't be in the garden of God. You've got to go and you'll live as a publican or a heathen man that does not know God. So as you can see, the Lord knows that evil communications corrupt good manners. Look at Matthew 5, and let's begin at verse 27. You see, the way that we do things today is so different from what God calls us to do. That's why you guys got guys like Creflo Dollar and Joel Osteen and a stadium full of people following him. Why? Because you got a bunch of corrupted seeds that did not deal with Joel Osteen when he came on the scene. Instead, he preached to their carnal senses. He preached to their own lust. And what did they say? Okay, cool. You know, I like this guy because he's telling me I don't have to forsake a lot. So you see that type of corruption, especially when it's coming from the pulpit, look at the amount of damage that it is able to do. That's why we must be in good standing with the living God. Look at Matthew 5, look at verse 27. He says, ye have heard that it has said, that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, have committed with her already, have committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, you know, we have to be careful as we talked about before, what kind of things that we put before our eyes, you see, because if you look at something long enough, you'll be enticed to desire it. That's why we have to have a transformed mind that we may look at a situation, not to take advantage of it, but to see it as in another vessel that needs Christ. Look at verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, some people may say, is he talking about plucking out one eye to hell? Well, you know, he's not exactly speaking about that, but he's saying that this is such an important thing that if that had to be done in order for you to follow Christ, then so be it. That's how important it is that you and I not allow evil communications to corrupt our manners, okay? And that's what he's talking about because you see, Samson, who is a type of church, you can read his story from Judges 13 to Judges 16, but you see, Samson was one who had a problem with his eyes. Samson loved women of the world. Samson went after harlots. Samson was in Delilah's company. He never picked a woman from his own people. He had to go out amongst the corrupt to find a woman. And you see, when he did this, he allowed himself to meet a woman called Delilah, which means feeble, you know, like, okay, she was no big deal. He didn't think much of her. Samson was powerful. He was led by God, but he lost his anointing in the lap of an harlot. She cut his hair off. He slept with her. He fell asleep in her lap. And, you know, when he woke up, the presence of God was not with him. Why? Because he allowed evil communications to corrupt good manners. What happened to him? His hair was clipped, which was, which was symbolic for his anointing or his connection to God. That's why he had seven locks 
representing the seven spirits of God. And then you also see that with that being clipped, his eyes were put out. So he could no longer see. And you know something? When those eyes were put out, then Samson began to recognize who his enemies were. And because his eyes were removed, because of that weakness being taken from him, Samson was able to destroy his enemies and to obey God, even though he died with him, but he killed more in his death than he did in his life. Why? Because he became focused on the purposes of God. So he's saying right here, whatever your problem is, it would be better to remove that thing from you. If you enjoy porno, then you need to get porno out of your house. If you've got it on your phone, then find a way to restrict those things from coming in. Throw out everything that is against God that keeps you from following the Lord. You see, because if those things are taken away, then we have no excuse but to fall in line with what God wants. If you want to be set free, you've got to be set free for real. Remove those things that make you sin so that you can be in good standing with God. Don't be like Samson and have your eyes put out in order for those things to happen. So he says, for it is profitable for you that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So as you can see, guys, we may even have some friends who are corrupt. We may even have some people, family members, that we know don't serve the Lord and want anything to do with him. The Bible is talking about removing things from you that cause you to offend. If you got a problem with watching too much TV, get rid of it, okay? It's not about what it is. I mean, it's not about removing those things out of your house. It's about removing those things that offend God and offend you, that make you stumble before God, that make you sin. If you're hanging out with people that cause you to sin, hey man, part company from them. Why? Because you can't, you know, forsake your salvation for the expense of worldly company. Why? Because you're going to see the Lord one day and you're going to have to stand before him and you're going to have to give an account for all the wickedness that you have committed. So you've got to be able to be sanctified, separate, to elevate. You can't elevate with God with some things attached to you. Learn to separate, to elevate. We did a teaching about that, I think a year ago, on soundandtrumpetministries.com that talks about separating to elevate. That's not a bad move. And a lot of people are not going to like it nor understand it. But you know what? That's not your problem. Do you want to be a people pleaser or you want to be a pleaser of God? Because unless we allow ourselves to be pleasers of God, then evil communications will corrupt good manners. Look at Matthew 6 and 19. Matthew chapter six, look at verse 19. Jesus says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. 
Why is the Lord telling us to do this? Not to lay out our worldly lives before us and put those above God. Why doesn't he want you planning out your permanent life here? Because it's not permanent, it's temporary, okay? But look at the warning and why Jesus said to do this. Look at verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this is what disconnects us from the will and the life of God is where our treasure is, our heart will end up being. So if our hearts are in line with God, we need to cut ties with those things that keep our hearts from focusing on the Lord. Man, this is so simple. You would have to try real hard to mess this thing up. If you get rid of the things that cause you to sin, then it gives you a direct pipeline to God that you can be in his holy counsel and his wisdom to please him and to hear from him. And more importantly, to do the things that he's asked you to do. But if you've got these negative weights tied to you, you got this corruption, you got this filth that is blocking the Holy Spirit from moving in your life. He's saying, hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. When God is calling you and I to prayer and we, we're involved in something worldly, watching TV, caught up in sin, God can't work with you there. Get rid of the things that cause you to fall and feed the new man. Starve out the old man and feed the new man and you will grow spiritually. What does the new man feed on? The word of God, you know, even maybe sermons of ministers of the Lord, you know, to pray, to fast, to spend time in the company of true believers. Those are the things that will strengthen us and allow you and I to walk with the Lord righteously because outside of that, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So if the light is the eye, if the eyes are the windows to the soul, then that which I set my eyes on will cause my whole body to be full of light. If my eye is single, if I know that Jesus Christ is the only way, if there's no substitute for him, there's no false religion in the midst. If I focus on Jesus Christ and his purpose and eternity in my life, then my whole body's gonna be full of light. You know why? Because I'm not gonna do anything that will keep God from governing my life. That's what this is about. So because of that, your body will be full of light. He says, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If, the, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you're attracted to unrighteousness, if you're attracted to ungodliness, if you're attracted to worldliness and fleshly things, then your body will be full of darkness. Why? Because Jesus Christ is that tree of life. He is that light that causes you and I to walk in God's righteous ways. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians six, as we talk more about separation to elevate. This is what's killing us, guys. This is what's keeping us from doing the things that God says. We've got too much of the world attached to us that keep us from obeying God. And you know what I'm learning about the Lord as I grow in my walk with him? The things that offended God yesterday, you know, they offend God today. 
You see, God doesn't change. God deals with us in a matter of, um, you know, systematically. He deals with us in a way that we can receive it. He doesn't remove all unrighteousness from us at one time. He takes it away little by little. Why? So that for every area he's building the new vessel, he can fill that area with wine, with the spirit of God to do that which is right. But I'm learning that, you know, I'm like, Lord, when you tell me some things offend you now, I'm like, why didn't you tell me before? Because God knew you wouldn't be able to handle it. Those things that offend God now, they always offended God. But he was taking out the, the things in your life to build you up so that you can walk with him and stay, and stay with him. All right, Sister Tara, see you soon, sister. We're keeping you in prayer, you and your sister. All right, but the thing is, is that, you know, God will slowly, as we grow, take more things out of our lives. That is how he works with us. He doesn't take it all away in one shot. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. I mean, verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So as you can see, you know what fornicators are. Those are those who have sex before marriage. You look at idolaters. Idolaters are those who put anything before God. Then he says, nor adulterers. Those are those who, you know, cheat on their spouses. And then he says, nor effeminate. Let's look up the word effeminate, guys. Effeminate means soft or soft to the touch. Metaphorically, in a bad sense, effeminate. Of a catamite. Of a boy kept for homosexual relations uh, with a man. Of a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness. Uh, of a male prostitute. So this is speaking of, you know, a, a soft, sensitive, weak, femaleish, womanish style man that God tells us that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you look up the word abusers of themselves with mankind, that's G733. That is one who lies with a male as with a woman, a sodomite, a homosexual. So as you know, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But see, a lot of people are preaching today that God will accept you however you are. He will accept you, but you will not be the same. He is going to change you and make you different so that you will be in good standing with God. We've all got to go through this, but as he just said, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. If we're one of these, we need to repent, make it right with God, and walk with the Lord. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. So as you can see, there were people in that time that were caught up in the same sins. And he says, but ye are washed, but ye are justified. But, I mean, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So again, if we give it all over to God, then God's spirit will come in, sanctify us and justify us, but we have to really repent. We have to really wanna do away with unrighteousness to walk with God. What we remove that is unrighteous from us, God will give us 
and strengthen us to be able to walk with him. So as you can see, look at verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So you see, there are a lot of things that God can permit his people to be able to do that are not sinful. For example, is it sinful to watch TV? That depends on what you're watching. But he says, even if he's watching godly programs, even if he's watching godly videos, even if we are making videos unto the Lord, we still can't be brought under the power of those things. Those things can't keep our time from God and doing what God wants, okay? God's will has to be above all. So Paul is making clear here, I'm not gonna be brought under the power of these things. So look at verse 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own spirit. So you see, it's God who raises us up, but he makes clear here that the body is not for fornication, but the body is for the Lord. Look at verse 15. He says, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body, for two, saith he, shall be one flesh. So now you understand why the Lord preaches separation, why the Lord wants to take certain things out of our lives. Because you see, if we allow ourselves to join to anything, that we become one with that thing. So if we're one with the world, we're the enemy of God. If we're one with false doctrine, we're on our way to hell. You see, if we're one with things that are not the way that God wants them to be, then we are going to separate from God and we're gonna join ourselves to the unrighteous, making what? Our evil communications corrupt good manners. That's what we've got to learn to stay away from. So look at what he says, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So if you're joined to the Lord, you are one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sins against his own body. So as you can see, when you commit fornication, you sin against the temple. What do you do? You defile it. So you grieve the Holy Ghost. So you frustrate the grace of God and you become one with that which you fornicated with. If you're involved with a lustful woman and you fornicate with her, you'll be of one spirit. If you're a woman fornicating with a man and you um, that, that lust after um, sexual desires, you are going to be one. If you join yourself to a harlot, you will become a harlot. If you join yourself to uh, you know, a whoremonger, then you yourself will be a whore. This is how it is. You've got to know that whatever we attach ourselves to, we become one with. This is why we need the saving power of God. This is why we need to rid ourselves of the corrupt things of this world and be single-eyed and single-minded and single-hearted to the Lord that God's will can be worked out in our lives. What does the Bible say? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. 
Don't think, don't let that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. Look at verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So a lot of us want to believe that we are saved in the Lord, but if we're really saved, then we're going to give Jesus Christ a body. Why? So that he can live in it and reach other people. That's what this is about. Anything outside of that is outright theft. Anything outside of that is cheating on the Lord. We've got to be in good standing with the Lord if we want to stay in good standing with the Lord. We've got to be in the right company. We've got to have the right things around us. We've got to seek after the right treasures because these are the things that God is going to look at. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen, sister, doing the glory is the Lord. Praise his name. All right. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at verse one. He says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye would, that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So as you can see, Jesus was in the Old Testament. What Paul is referring to is the Exodus period. When they left Egypt, they wallowed in the wilderness, and they were trying to make their way to the promised land. Paul says, don't be ignorant. When we all left Egypt, you see, all the Israelites left. He said they all ate of the same spiritual meat, the same spiritual drink. And they all were, you know, followed that rock, which was Christ. So you see, they all left together. That's important. That's an important thing to pay attention to. But look at verse four. I mean, verse five. He says, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So as you can see, many of those people that left Egypt altogether, God wasn't pleased with them. He says, because they were overthrown in the wilderness. You got to know, guys, that man is made of three parts. He is body, soul, and spirit. The body is the place that we live in. The uh, soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the spirit is the place that we commune with God. When you look at the comparison of that to the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place, which was Solomon's temple, the outer court was the place where everyone would congregate together, you know, and then you had the inner court, which is where the priest could go. That's the place that they would make sacrifices. And then they would go into the holy place, okay, to sprinkle the blood on the altar. And in that, in that holy place, there was Aaron's rod that budded, which symbolized God's authority. There was the pot of manna, which symbolizes um, God's sustenance, which is Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And then you had the two stone tablets, which were the Ten Commandments, which meant, you know, it was God's uh, law. Okay, so all of those things 
had to be taken care of. But in order to get into the holy place, you had to make the sacrifice in the inner court. Why am I saying this? Because you see, the inner court is symbolic for the soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and our emotions. It is in it, and it is in that place where we make the sacrifice that we can go on to be in the spirit with God. When God governs your mind, when God governs your will, and when God governs your emotions, then you can serve the Lord in a righteous way. You understand? So this is how these things come to pass. If you look at Egypt, if you look at the wilderness, if you look at the promised land, they are also symbolic for body, soul, and spirit. What is uh, Egypt? Egypt is a type of world that God pulls us from. The wilderness is also a type of soul, which is your mind, will, and your emotions. And then you've got the promised land, which is heaven, which is the spirit, which is the most holy place. I'm not trying to confuse anyone. I want you to understand. These guys were overthrown or they were overthrown in the wilderness, meaning they got off track and they lost their way in the wilderness because they did not yield their souls unto the Lord. Their will wasn't to make it into the promised land. Their will was to try and take Egypt, which was the world with them. And in doing so, they fell apart in the wilderness because they refused for God to govern that area. Look at verse six. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So as you can see, the lust that they had in the wilderness, you know, um, were, were the things that kept them away. Look at verse seven, neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So let's look up the word idolater, what that means. This is G1496. And that word means a worshiper of false gods, an idolater, used of, of any, of even Christian, a participant in any way in the worship of the heathen, especially one who attends their sacrifices, feast, and eats of the remains of, of the offered victims, a covetous man as a worshiper of mammon. So remember how the Lord says, you can't serve two masters because you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. You're going to hold to the one and you're going to despise the, uh, the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So as you can see, an idolater is anything that or anyone that puts anything before God and is a partaker of those things or you're greedy because you know God's not greedy. God deals with us in moderation. All right. So that's what an idolater is. It's someone that puts anything before God. Verse uh, eight, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. What were they doing at that point? They built that golden calf. We got a teaching on uh, the golden calf on Sound the Trumpet Ministries. Look it up, it'll give you more understanding. But they were looking for Moses. Moses wasn't around because Moses was up with the Lord in his presence, getting the 10 commandments of the Lord. These people couldn't wait, so what did they do? They built their own God, which was a golden calf, a golden cow, okay, that these people um, called their God. And in doing so, God destroyed them for their wickedness. 
Okay, look at verse nine. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples and that they are written for our admonition, our warning upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So as you can see, we've got to stay in the middle of the road with the Lord because a lot of people get full of themselves in this. We think that we're strong. We think that we're ready to take on the world. We stop paying attention to the counsel of the Holy Ghost and what God's word tells us. And we go out there ill-advised of God to try and do something only to find out we still got sin in our mortal bodies. And what does that sin do? It takes us down, okay? And then we've got to start all over again with the Lord. If you hearken unto God's counsel, he says, if you think that you stand, then take heed unless you fall. Our strength is in Christ. In our weakness, we are made strong in Christ. He is our foundation. We must decrease so that the Lord can increase. This is the only way we're gonna stay standing is if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Look at verse 13. There hath no uh, temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So as you can see, he says that there is no temptation other than what is common to man that you and I deal with. But you see, God is faithful. He will make a way for you and I to escape temptation if we truly wanna go. God will always make a way. He'll always tell you when you're sitting around with that woman, hey, I think it's time you call it a night. Better yet, don't even go up to her house. Don't even invite her over. Don't even do what you wanna do. Hearken unto me so you can stay in good standing with me. Don't be in the company of those who are doing drugs and in gangs and doing other stuff. Separate yourself from that company. So God will always make a way of escape, but it's up to you and I whether or not we want to. That's why, man, we gotta be in good standing. So he says that we may be able to bear it. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say that the cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, and we are all partakers of that one bread. So, if, you know, this goes in line with what Paul says, that if we are of one Christ, we are of one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord. He says in uh, Second Philippians, or Philippians 2, that we should um, be of the same mind and mind the same things and be of one spirit, concerned for the things of your brother, not, not of yourself. Okay, um, verse 18, behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. What say I then? that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? So are you saying that idols in your life is no big deal? 
okay, because you're a partaker of the things that Christ wants. So you think just because you've drawn closer to Christ that it's okay to have idols in your life? It's, a, it's okay to have sinful things around you? Look at what he says in verse 20. But I say unto, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So he's making it clear. Gentiles at that time, another word for Gentiles in the New Testament are pretty much unbelievers. Because remember, there were the Hebrews that followed God and obeyed God. And then you had the Gentiles okay, which were not God's people. They didn't know the ways of God. They were considered the heathen. So he's saying the things that the worldly people, that the Gentiles, that those who don't know God, the things that they sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. So he says that we should not be partakers of these things and fellowship with devils. Look at verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Or are we stronger than he? And what we must understand too is the devil is still doing this. They've got yoga studios in church now. They've got martial arts studios in church. They've got all sorts of things that are merged with the world that have nothing to do with God, that are hurting the people of God. We've got to separate from these things and not be partakers of them. Some people may think yoga is a good exercise, but the word yoga means to yoke, and it means to yoke to the goddess of Hinduism, which is Kali. So every move that they do in yoga, every finger or hand sign or whatever it is that they're doing, it's meant to yoke you to the goddess of Kali, which is the goddess of death. So as you can see, when you merge with that, you will get a yoga demon. If you're someone that is uh, involved in martial arts, you know that you got to open yourself up to different spirits when you get good and you start using the power of the spirits to break boards. When you start doing things like when they say, Kia, Kia, Kia. Well, Kia is a god from Hinduism and Buddhism and from the Far East that is supposed to give you more power upon your punch. So as you can see, there's always a God behind the things that people do. That's why we need discernment in the spirit to know what is righteous and know what is unrighteous. Okay, let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians six, and let's look at verse 14. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, second Corinthians six, look at verse 14. He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Belial is another name for worthlessness or the devil. And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? An infidel is like a dog or an unbeliever. So what right does Christ have to do with the devil 
And what right does a believer have to do with an unbeliever? I'm not talking about an unbeliever you've got to preach the gospel to. I'm talking about someone that's an unbeliever that wants nothing to do with God and don't want to hear the gospel. What righteousness do you and I have with them? None. Okay, so look at verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God, which is you and I, with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So that sounds simple enough. If you're the temple of God, God will dwell in you and you in him, and you will be, he will be your God and you will be his people. But there's a condition with this. If you want to be a person of God, look at verse 6 to 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So you see, you've got to separate to elevate. You've got to uh, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean things and God will receive you. But if you still want the filth and the corruption of this world, then you're going to be in line with it. And that's not the purpose of God. God wants a bride without spot or blemish. God wants a single hearted. I mean, all right, I'll put it this way. Imagine you and I, for those who are married out there, imagine you got a wife or a husband that's not really sure if they love you, don't know why they're with you, or they're good with you when you're with them, but then they're out fornicating and committing adultery and cheating on you when you're not around. Would you want someone like that? So why do you want God to be okay with that? That's why you've got to have a purified heart. That's why you need clean hands. That's why you need a single mind so that you can focus on the things that are be of God. Anything outside of that, you're cheating on the Lord. You're committing adultery because you're supposed to be married to him. If, if God, if you wouldn't marry a whore or a whoremonger, why would you want God to do it? So you see, this is why we need to separate to elevate because outside of that, evil communications corrupt good manners. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm almost done, guys. I got two more things and I'm done. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at uh, verse 11. No, as a matter of fact, let's look at, uh, let's look at verse five. Now let's begin in verse one. I'm sorry, guys, but you know, it says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not uh, so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So what was going on in the church of Corinth? They were committing fornication. These people were sleeping with each other, you know, their father's wives and all sorts of stuff. Look at verse two, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this, have done this deed might be taken away from among you. So he says they're puffed up because these people began to believe 
it doesn't matter what I do. I can call myself a Christian and live unrighteously. That's puffed up. That's pride. Anytime you don't think you need to obey God, that's pride. So he says that, you know, you need to get it right or you will be taken away, you know, from the people. Look at verse three. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath uh, so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is saying for those who are puffed up with pride, committing fornication in the church, having their father's wives and all this other stuff, he says such a one should be turned unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. So, you know, there are times that we go through trials that God may allow you and I to be delivered over to the devil for a little while because God sanctifies us through the evil of this world. You know, God will, will let bad things happen to us and things happen in our lives. Why? Because God wants you to not love this life. God wants you to trust him and not trust in anything else. So unless God shows you and I the wickedness and the corruptness and the hurtfulness of this world, then we're not gonna serve God the way that he wants. So he takes you and I through trials and through situations that the flesh may die in us, but that the spirit might be saved, okay? So sometimes God's got to allow you to be turned over unto the devil so you can see how evil and wicked he is and you can desire God. Look at verse six. Your glorying is not good. Uh, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, and ye are unleavened, for even Christ now, I mean, our Passover is sanctified for us. So, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We need to be taken away from all unrighteousness that we can be made right. You've got to die out to self daily so that Jesus Christ can live in us and resurrect himself in us, that his work can be done. Look at verse eight, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in, the, in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. So he's telling you not to company with fornicators. Why sin should be addressed in the church so that people will know what is right from wrong. But again, as we talked about, when you are in the company, evil communication, it will corrupt good manners. So he's telling them not to company yourself with them. Look at verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or, or the extortioners. So it's not just fornicators, it's to even be around the greedy and those who extort or the idolaters. But then must ye needs go out of the world. So as you can see, if you are in the company of those who are covetous and idolaters and fornicators, you will be like them. What does Creflo Dollar have? He has a congregation that are idolaters because he's an idolater. They are covetous because he's covetous. Joe Osteen's group is the same way. 
T.D. Jakes, Joseph Prince, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, Juanita Bynum, they're all in the same place because they all worship things that are not of God. And you see their congregation will be just like them, like teacher, like student. Look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you, not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner uh, with such an one, know not to eat. For what have I to do uh, to judge them also that are, that are without? Uh, do not ye judge them that are within? So our focus should not just be on, you know, those who are sinful in the world. The church has got to look at itself and be made right. That's why Second uh, Peter three and nine talks about that. Um, you know, he it is not in God's purpose that any should perish, but that all should come before God and repent. God is calling all people to repent, but it's all about those who will and those who won't see. We've got to separate from wickedness if we want to truly grow in God. Now in your spare time, guys, as we've read so many times, read 1 John uh, 2 and 15. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we've got to get in that place of giving the glory to the Lord, doing what the Lord says, walking with him in a new heart, in a new mind, uh, living righteous and forsaking all that is wicked. Because if we don't, then evil communications will corrupt good manners. So that's the lesson for tonight, you know, and I, um, just want to say to people out there that if you know you're not saved and you can hear this message and you desire to be saved, then God can save you if you give your life over to him. Repent. That means to turn away from sin and throw it out and do away with it. Ask the Lord for forgiveness for the sins that you have committed. Ask him for his mercy. Ask him to become your Lord and Savior. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and through the stripes of Jesus Christ that we are healed. Get into his word, get baptized, and develop a relationship with him. And if you believe, the Lord will baptize you in the spirit, making you the new man and giving you the new life. So, you know, that's what you need to do if you're gonna give it over to Christ and desire to be with him, because anything outside of that will corrupt good manners. So uh, let's just pray out real quick. and. Um, We'll close out from there. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. And we ask, Lord, that your words penetrate deep and that they prick hearts and minds, that we may know, Lord, that we're on a sinking ship and you are our only true savior, that without you, Lord, there is no plan B, that we will go to hell. So I pray, Lord, that this message glorified you. I pray that no flesh were involved in this, Lord. But I pray only by your spirit that people may be brought to edification, that they may choose life and desire eternal life and not to live in the ways of this world unto death. I pray and I ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for tonight. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. If you haven't subscribed and you like the teachings, subscribe. If not, then you know, then then you got the free will to not do so. But I just want to tell everyone uh, tomorrow night we're actually going to do a teaching at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time, and it's going to be called uh, the fulfillment of the law. I think we're going to get a lot of understanding with that. It's called the fulfillment of the law. So I just want to say again, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And until uh, next time, have a good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.